0: In the name of Jesus, uh, dear friends in Christ. Speaking of my wife, if you had happened to ask Laura if I'm a punctual, sort of a time-conscious, timely kind of person, you'd probably get a pretty good laugh out of her. And if she was Mike, she could tell stories, but she isn't. But after she got done with the laughing, she'd say, "Oh yeah, Tim's a pretty time-conscious person. If he says he's going to be home at 8:30, he'll be home at 8:30. If he's going to be home at 10:08, he'll probably try to be home right at." 10.08. It's not right or wrong, it's just sort of the the way I am. Uh, I'm sort of wired where I'd rather be 15 minutes early to something than 30 seconds late. It's just the way I am. Normally a pretty easy, I think affable, going guy. I get a little stressed out if I think we're going to be running behind or running late on something. Now when Laura and I found out that our first, is that right honey? Okay, okay. (laughs) She's being very gracious to me today. (laughs) But when we found out that our um, first child Nathan was on the way, and I remember being at one of the early doctor appointments, and the doctor said, I'm going to give you a due date. So I got out my Franklin planner. You remember those days before smartphones? And I'm ready to write down, he says, the due date's April 20th. He says, and he saw the wheels turning in my mind, I think. And he said, Dad, slow down. This is something you can't plan out. Only about 2% of babies come on their due date. I thought, oh, okay. Well, Nine months later, Nathan came on April 20th, 1998, right on his due date. And some people that knew me real well said, Tim, it just figured your son would come, be one of the 2% right on his due date. Have you ever noticed, though, that God sometimes is frequently late? We may think in terms of our way of keeping time that he's running behind in things in our life that we would like to see have happen. As I've gotten older over the years, and maybe this is true for you as well, and as I've grown and matured in my faith by the power of the Holy Spirit, I've started to realize that God follows a different set of time than I do often. His time zone does not always totally intersect with mine. In many ways, he wears a different watch. He doesn't operate on Tim time. You may have noticed, too, that God sometimes just operates on a totally different sense of time and clock. Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, in the 55th chapter of his Old Testament book, verse 8 records, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. And Scripture seems to be saying here that God's thoughts and God's time and God's ways and God's means are not always our time and our thoughts and our ways and our means. As we continue in our sermon series today, 24, as we look at time, today we're going to be looking at God's time and God's perfect sense of timing and how often in our human, sinful, finite, limited, selfish minds we may think that God is running late, that he's behind, that he's absent, that he's tardy. But God is always perfectly punctual in his time. And as we explore this notion of God and his time, What a better place to look for examples of this than in Scripture, a book that's all about God and his love and his will and his sense of timing. To me, it's very clear as we look at the men and women of Scripture and all that they encountered, that often God's timing does not match up. It does not coincide perfectly with the timing and the expectations of his people. I think without Question: One of the hardest things for many of us Christians to do sometimes is to wait on God's timing, especially when in our mind we want to have something happen in a certain way and have it happen right now. Last month, in one of the messages, we looked at Abraham and we looked at different stories of Abraham in the Book of Genesis. And one a snippet that we visited briefly was from Genesis eighteen. And we find there Abraham and Sarah, being 99 and 89 years of age, respectfully. And at that point in their lives, they still did not have a child between the two of them. 24 years earlier, in Genesis chapter 12, God had called Abraham out of Haran to go and follow him to a land or a country that he would show him. And among many other things that God promised Abraham, he promised him many descendants, and he would make a great nation out of those descendants. So, 24 years later, this couple that is advancing in ages, and even for biblical times, 89 would be well past the normal years of childbearing, this couple still did not have one child between them. And in Genesis 18, the Lord appears to Abraham and Sarah and says, In about a year, you're going to have a son. And Sarah laughs. And the Lord responds in a great verse of Scripture. It's a question, but it's almost a rhetorical question or a rhetorical promise. It's a verse we need to cling to, to count on, to claim for our own and never forget, even though we do. It's Genesis eighteen fourteen, when the Lord asks Sarah. And he asks and he reminds us today, too, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything indeed impossible for the Lord in his sense of timing? And we know how the story turned out. A little less than a year later, they were born with the son of the promise. The 80-year-old Moses had lived in exile for 40 years out in Midian. He probably was content to be a shepherd for the rest of his life until one day he was startled by God in a calling via a burning bush. And probably many of the hopes and dreams that Moses had for the 40 prior years had long been evaporated. And the Lord comes to him and puts a great calling upon his heart, a great challenge. Now, Moses' people were still in bondage. and It looked like they'd be in bondage for a lot of years in Egypt. Moses had been born at a time where the Pharaoh had issued a decree that all the little Hebrew baby boys would be killed. God in his providence had spared Moses from that. And now, what would turn out to be two-thirds of the way through his life, God is asking Moses now to seemingly do the impossible and go before the most powerful ruler in the world, the Pharaoh of Egypt, and demand that he let his people go. And we know from scripture in Exodus chapters 3 and 4, the reluctance, the hesitance, the excuses that Moses offered up. Lord, why would the people listen to me? Who am I to go before Pharaoh? Lord, I don't speak all that well in front of groups of people. And I would imagine, if I could speculate here, he probably had another excuse. He was probably muttering under his breath, Lord, I just don't get your sense of timing. I'm 80 years old. That ship has sailed. I don't get your time schedule and your plan. But God had other ideas for him. We know our friend Job from the Old Testament experienced monumental tragedy and suffering. Even in our pop culture today, we will speak with people of going through Job-like Trials or having a patience like Job. And Job nearly lost it all, didn't he? He saw his wealth and his possessions go away. He saw his children violently perish. Uh, The first couple chapters of Job talk about the physical suffering that he underwent, these painful sores that so much in Job chapter 2, his wife said to him, Why don't you just curse God and die? And if you read through the book of Job at times, I'm not sure he was blessed maybe with always the most supportive spouse or friends. His friends turn on him and become his most ardent accusers. And slowly but surely, Job slips into despondency and despair, probably thinking, Lord, where are you? Isn't it too late? Where have you been? And finally, our final example from our gospel reading today that Jenny read, Mary and Martha in John chapter 11. Their dear brother... The beloved friend of Jesus they had seen fall ill, deteriorate, and die. They sent word out to two sisters for Jesus to come and help. But Jesus arrives four days after Lazarus had been in the tomb. Martha will say and Mary similarly in that text later on, Lord, you're here, but if you could have been on time, you maybe could have saved him, but you're too late. And when Jesus says for that tombstone to be rolled away, Martha says, Lord, he's been in there four days. There's going to be an odor. He's going to stink. It seemed that Jesus was tardy, too late, but he wasn't. I think arguably one of the most common questions that we probably wrestle with as Christians, perhaps not is whether God exists or not, but rather we as Christians and those who are struggling to know whether they know the Lord or not. Probably so much are not tripped up on whether God exists, but over God's sense of timing. How many times have we not wondered, maybe recently in our lives or in our country today, Lord, where are you? Why now? Why not now? When is it going to happen, Lord? What's your timing? More specifically, the following things we could probably adjust slightly and it would fit all of us at some point in life. Questions about God's timing, timing, that would include, Lord, why did you have to take my mother home at such a young age? Lord, why was the healing so long in coming? Why this diagnosis now in my life, Lord? Lord, I've been out of work for three years, and I try so hard. The time is so long, and I can't find gainful employment. Lord, it doesn't seem to matter what school I go to. No matter how much time I give it, I just can't make friends, and I get picked on. Many times as we work through these questions and struggles, we find that God operates at a slower frame of time, at a slower speed than we would like him to in our human way of time and having things work out in this world. And yes, God in our minds at times may seem tardy. He may seem frequently late. And though paradoxically, we may think that. God is perfectly, always, punctually on time. Though he may be late in our minds, running behind, having a different concept of time that we do, he is always perfectly punctual. And again, as we study Scripture, a book that's all about God and his love and his timing and his will for our lives, I think we will see this paradoxical truth play out so often. Though seemingly late to us, God's time is always perfect. If we go back to an earlier verse from this morning, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8, and this time we'll add verse 9. Isaiah writes, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And Scripture seems to tell us in many and varied ways and times that God operates on a different thought level than we do. He has a different vantage point when it comes to time and a perspective that we're just not always capable of fully understanding. Peter writes in his second epistle, chapter 3, verse 8, the following words, words that it's good to never forget regarding time. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. We may all know people, and sometimes we're those people, and it's not right or wrong, that we just operate on a different sense of time and a clock. Do you know what I mean? We might live in the same family. We might live in the same zip code. We might live in the same metropolitan area, but it's like we operate in a different time zone from one another. Laura and I have a, a couple friend that we, we try to see and go out to dinner occasionally. It's not a couple here from St. Michael, so I'm not telling any stories, and it's not a bad thing either. But I'll still change the last name to protect the innocent. You probably wouldn't know them anyway. We'll call them the Smith family. They live in Utica, so about forty five 45 miles away. So when we do want to get together for dinner, sometimes we'll meet halfway at a restaurant. Or if they come out to our house and they say, hey, we'll be there at 5.30 or we'll meet you there at 5.30, we know, okay, 5.30 in Smith time probably means no sooner than 6.15. Probably it means 6.30. And that's okay. It's not a problem. There's nothing wrong with it. We just adjust to it. It's Smith time. Well, there's God's time. And God operates and functions on a different sense of time and clock than we do. His scale is not always ours. The prophet Jeremiah, in the 29th chapter of his Old Testament book, in that very familiar verse to many of us, verse 11, makes this wonderful promise. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And for many of us, we may like this verse because it seems to speak about God's timing and planning and that God's got it in our lives. But the Lord certainly does function on a different level of functionality. When you think about schemes that we sometimes have in life, and they backfire. (laughs) Plans that we come up with that go asunder. Time schedules and agendas that just go askew. God's timing, God's time is always perfect. And that's corroborated in so many ways and places in Scripture. And one uh, area of corroboration of this would be in Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verse 28. Again, a comforting, familiar verse to many of us about God's sense of timing, that God's got it. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purposes. And there is a biblical conviction and truth here that what happens to us in life, and yes, we do have free will and we do make choices, but ultimately God is in control and God is sovereign. And as we talked about in a message a few weeks ago, we can rejoice in the truth and love that God always does do. The right thing he's sovereign and he's got it as i've been thinking and praying about the events as you have too over the last couple days in our country and quite honestly over the last couple weeks it's easy for people to become discouraged when you think of a little over a week ago a group of nine christians on a weekday night went to their church to pray to study god's word never knowing that they would, in a very cowardly, brutal, evil way, be gunned down and murdered while they're praying and worshiping God. Or we think of recent rulings where a court may declare something to be true, to be right. A legislative body will pass a law and say, this is the way it is. An appointed or an elected official may sign something into law, and it may contradict what we teach, believe, and confess from the Bible as Christians. But I tell you what we need to remember. That God is on his throne. And nothing and no person, no entity of this world can ever dethrone him. Our God is sovereign. Our God reigns. Jesus is still master of the universe. He's the Lord of heaven. He is the Lord of earth. And his word remains true. And no matter what any entity or any person of this world may want to declare that is right. His word and his truth remain supreme. Praise be to God that our almighty, awesome God reigns. Amen? Amen? Amen. His truth is true. And as Christians, we need to be encouraged. We need to be emboldened because we have the truth of his word, and nothing can ever change that of this world. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord and that we're called to be committed to this word, and asked by the power of the Holy Spirit that we continue to share the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for us in a world, in a society, in a nation that so desperately needs to hear it, knowing that God's got it. He's in charge. It's in his time, in his hands, and his timing is perfect. Abraham and Sarah thought God had appeared and acted too late, but because God acted when he did, they were blessed with the son of promise, Isaac, Moses, I'm sure, entertained similar thoughts. But because God came to Moses with that call when he did, and Moses, in obedience, listened to him. God, working through Moses, delivered his people in the greatest event of the Old Testament from over 400 years of bondage in Egypt. When God came to Job after Job had wondered whether all was lost, God restored Job's life in so so many ways. God always had him in his hands. Mary and Martha were certain that Jesus was too late, But because Jesus came when he did and how he did it in his time, in his grace and his mercy, he chose to do a miracle and resurrect Lazarus. But more importantly, I think he makes a statement to you and me when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me, though he may die, will live. David had to wait an awful lot of years to be king of a unified Israel. Noah had to wait 120 years from God asked him seemingly to do the ridiculous, to build an ark and before the first raindrops came. In each of these biblical stories, as well as in our own lives, I think, when we go through those times of trial and challenge and disappointment, those valleys where things maybe just aren't going well in family life for a while. Things are tough in the marriage. Uh, We are seeing or not seeing things happen in the lives of our children or our grandchildren that we want to see happen. There's stumbles and struggles at work at school, in our health-like, with our walk with the Lord. God, seemingly, are you late? Are you there? Are you absent? Are you tardy? Again, we're looking through our own human eyes and sense of time and not God's divine 2020 perfect vision. God's timing and His will and His touch is always perfect. I don't know about you, but I know in my life at times I've wondered about God's timing. Have you ever been there? All of us? I'm sure we have. Times where I've thought, Lord, I know you'll answer prayers according to your will and grace, but I'm just not seeing the answer now. Lord, I know you'll help me. You'll give me wisdom and guidance during a time where I need it, but I need it like right now. I need it maybe more visible in my face. Lord, I know you're good on delivering on your promises. When is it going to happen? And sometimes in a matter of days, we can look back and see, ah, that was God's perfect timing. Makes sense. Sometimes it's a matter of weeks, months, years, and sometimes we will not fully understand God's sense of timing on this side of glory. You know, my last message, I mentioned that I was a bachelor for a while, and at age 28, uh, about that roughly, it wasn't any exact date, but you know, around that time in life, I was thinking, "Well, if I met the right woman, I'd be ready to get married. And the Lord, around age 28, put Laura into my life, and she's been the, the right woman for me. We got married when I was about age 30, and so you know, we, Laura was a teacher, I was a former teacher, we loved kids, and we, we wanted to have kids. And I was ready to map out the one, three, five-year plan. <laughs> God had other plans, and we weren't Abraham and Sarah, but it took a few more years than maybe it was our plan and our desire. But God, in his perfect timing, gave us three children in a little under 18 months. Be careful what you pray for. No, <laughs> just kidding. No, my three children, Nathan, Jonathan, and Alyssa, like, like their dad hasn't embarrassed them before, but no, could not be more of a blessing, and God in his perfect time gave them to Laura and I to entrust our care. Also, there's twins in there, so the math works out, too, in case anybody, anybody was uh, figuring that out. But, you know, looking back, it was his perfect time, in his perfect way, and it gave Laura and I some years before the blessedness and busyness of family life to maybe travel and do some things that would be a while before we would do again. Although frequently late in our minds, God is always on time. The prophet Isaiah writes in his Old Testament work, chapter 40, verse 31, But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Recently, we talked about faith and a definition of faith that's based on the sort of the five-letter play on word of faith, F-A-I-T-H. That is, faith is forsaking all else I trust in him. And that kind of faith, forsaking all else I trust in him, does not find its strength in life by focusing and trusting in the busyness of life. That kind of faith does not find its strength by trusting in our man-made and personal timetable and schedules and one- and three- three and five-year plans. It does not find its strength in being so overly prepared for every possible scenario in this life that can go wrong at any time. But rather, that kind of faith finds itself only in the Lord. And what Isaiah writes here, that we would, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be tuned into his frequency and his sense of timing. And as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, that the Lord would grant us, as Pastor Dave preached about a couple weeks, that biblical world view for life and time. Winston Churchill rose quickly in his, early, in his political career in Britain. Uh, Many thought at age 33, by already being a cabinet minister in Britain, he was on the fast track to becoming prime minister. He himself thought he would probably be the youngest prime minister ever elected in Britain. Yet through a series of events and unpopular decisions, Churchill unexpectedly fell from political power and grace. He lost his seat. He lost his influence. He, as a matter of fact, became an object of ridicule and scorn in society. By the early 1930s, nobody was listening to Churchill and what would turn out to be his prophetic warnings about the rise of Hitler and Nazi fascism and the threat that that would pose to Europe and to England itself. People in England had no respect for Churchill, and they would choose to trust in the notion that Hitler could never threaten the great British Empire. Well, by the end of that decade, when Britain was plunged into World War II, it was 1939, and the Nazis were a threat. And England turned to Churchill. Now Winston now was 65 years of age, eligible to receive and retire on a very comfortable pension. But he answered the call of his country and he inspired his nation through the darkest days of the war when it did indeed look like England would fall. He and the allies were victorious as we know in the war of Europe and he's considered to this day to be one of the greatest leaders in world history. But his plan was to be prime minister many years, probably many decades earlier than he became. But history and the needs of the nation dictated otherwise. He was just needed for a later time, a time such as that by Britain and the free world. God, in his perfect timing, as Jenny read today in our reading from Romans 5, sent Jesus at the right time in the divinely appointed way to save you and me, to save this world as promised to Adam and Eve from a sin, from an evil worse than that of Hitler and Nazi fascism, but from the eternal sting of sin, death, and the power of the devil. And God sent Jesus in his unique time and way into this world in the most humble of origins to live that perfect life that you and I just can't live, to suffer and die the death that we deserve on a cross, and to rise again for us, that all who believe in him for 24-7, for time eternal, will have life in him. Praise be to God. God's got it. He's done it, as we've talked about in this sermon series. He has saved the world. We don't have to try to do it. Let's trust in Him and believe and live like we know we've been saved. Often our timing, our plans, our schedules, our agenda, it's not the Lord's timing. Each day, each year, time itself is a gift from the Lord. And regardless of the successes or failures of the past, or the joys and challenges of the present. We just never know how God in his perfect sense of timing is going to work through us to accomplish his purposes. God will use you and me in his timing as we yield to his will and purposes for a time such as this. Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes 3.1, There is a time for everything and a season for everything under heaven. Let's live like we know we've been saved. God's got it. God has done it. Praise be to God, and he's always perfectly, punctually, divinely on time, and God is never late for you and me. In the name of Jesus, amen.